Flowers have been used to say I love you for many, many years and to say lots of other things too. But the cut flower industry generally is not very loving for the planet, sadly. There are impacts from its carbon footprint, its chemical use, its packaging, not to mention its work practices. But some florists and growers are trying very hard to address that and making some big changes. Perhaps you've tried to buy more sustainable flowers. How have you gone about that and how did you manage it? Was it was it possible? Rita Feldman is a second generation florist, a science writer and the founder of the Sustainable Floristry Network. Rita, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Hilary. Thanks for having me on. I understand you were about 18 months old when you first were told to hold a hose and drench some flowers with it. When in that uh, venerable timeline did you start thinking maybe there's a problem here with the industry? Um, look, I I think it's always there's been there's always been problems associated with the industry. For the most part, it's it's pretty you know it, it it's pretty good. Um, it's a it's there's a you know we're working with nature. There's this this basic idea, but at some point um, in the last fifty years, things have changed a lot, um, and that's to service you know that's happened alongside globalization um, and particularly uh, in the northern hemisphere, things are very different. In Australia, we've got a we were a bit of a special case because of our geographical location and. Um, the, the volume of flowers that we produce domestically compared to a lot of other countries. Mm. But yeah, certainly um, it's, it's, it's always, there's always been awareness that there's certain things and certain practices and products and like, where does that waste go? Or, you know, how are these flowers produced? Were perhaps questions sitting there, but didn't really know the answers to. So I guess for you personally, Rita, was there a moment where you suddenly thought, hang on a minute, I don't think that we're doing things the right way. There was, um, look, I worked most recently in, in events um, and there was a particular moment in, in about 2016 where I was packing up from a wedding um, and I saw somebody had put a lot of blocks of floral foam into a composting system, like a, a bucket, like a trolley that was being taken out to a green waste system. And I, at that point I suddenly thought, you know, I knew it was plastic, but I'd never really thought about it. I'd avoided using it. Um, but then I started thinking, well, what do other people think? And what are, what are um, you know, customers at home, recipients of gift boxes and things like that doing with this product? Because here's, here's somebody thinking they're doing the right thing by putting it into the green waste because it's green and it's crumbly. Um, and and that's sort of, that's when it really kicked things off. And I started uh, looking into, you know, doing my own research into the product, um, and that led me to um, taking the product to uh, RMIT University, where a researcher there, Dr. Charlene Trestrail, picked it up and and looked into it as part of her PhD um, thesis. And how bad was and, it when she got to the end of that road? Well, um, you know, it, it 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 it's it's particularly bad because of its nature. It crumbles very easily so it becomes microplastics very easily um and it go we will use it in conjunction with the water system as florists you know we put it in a vase we put water on top of it and at the end of it um if you've ever looked in a vase full of floral foam it's it's crumbled up and there's little fragments through the water what do you do with that water and what charlene found was that um she was looking specifically at aquatic animals and she found that um all animals that she looked at consumed it 
and that it produced a, a stress response in those. So it was bad for, you know, it, it had a negative effect on the animals that were consuming it. So that's my cockatiel. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I love it. We're speaking with Rita Feldman and her cockatiel about some of the negative impacts that we're seeing on uh, on the planet from the flower industry, which is such a sad thing because flowers bring a lot of brightness and joy to a lot of people. We will get to the solutions, but Rita, we should talk about some of the other issues that you uh, started to to uh, uncover more about when you when you started looking into the sustainability of the flower industry. We've touched on the packaging issue, which is huge for yep. such fragile things transported across the planet. Yes. What about the carbon yes. footprint? Um, well, the carbon footprint's a really interesting one because not a lot of direct studies have been done specifically on cut flowers. Um, a lot more on fruit and veg. So a lot of um, what we know about, um, you know, the footprint of, of farming practices comes from those studies. Um, I was very lucky, you know, at the start of the, the lockdown in Melbourne, that's when I started researching this project. Um, I stumbled across a research group in the UK uh, called the Sustainable Cut Flowers Project, and that's headed up by two academics, um, Professor David um, Beck from Coventry University and Dr Jill Timms from Surrey University. And they're very sp- looking at the very specific question of what makes a sus- more sustainable cut flower. Um, and so they have been looking at this subject. And so what, of, what I've learned has come through interviewing, you know, the, the, they're basically the global experts on this subject. Um, so, so what we know about carbon footprints is that the major driver is the, ma- the main contributing um, is is going in heated glasshouses, obviously where fossil fuels are being used. Um, and you know, there's obviously in the in the you know a lot of flowers are produced in the Netherlands in cold conditions um, throughout the year, and you know that's where they've sort of gained a lot of that information. Um, the other, the other main, um, you know, we can big con- con- contributors are packaging. Um, in some cases, it's the, you know, you've got a lot of paper and um, you know plastic involved, and obviously, paper comes from somewhere. It comes from trees. You've got deforestation, and in some studies, they've found that the packaging is like a really big contributor um, to the final footprint. Um, and of course, the big one, um, other big one is is air freight. So flowers are perishable; they need to be moved around very quickly. Um, and so, air freight is used a lot, um, particularly servicing the northern hemisphere. Like I said earlier, Australia is quite unique because we have such a high percentage of flowers grown domestically. Estimates are somewhere between you know fifty to seventy percent. But when you get to the US, you're looking at around 20% of flowers um, are grown domestically. And then when you move to the UK, it's something like 15%. Which makes sense when you think about the relative climate. So, Rita, does that mean if you are buying flowers grown in Australia, they're more likely to be sustainable or are there problems with the industry here as well? Um, look, it's, it's, it's a tricky one because every single flower grows in different conditions and has different requirements. Um, the biggest drivers, um, um, as I said earlier, um, are to do with growing in, in heated, that's with carbon. But there's all these other issues. There's, there's things like pesticide use and, um, you know, transport and, that, and that, that's carbon. So, you know, it's 
there's different degrees. Everything it moves along a scale, and it and it can be really really hard to know just because something's from Australia. Absolutely not, because you don't know about the conditions in which it's grown. Um, what we do have in Australia. Um, in this industry is there is a big movement to really address these issues, which is great. A lot of conventional commercial farmers, um, you know, they, they're really serious about, you know, they, when they learn that something is, is, is maybe a problem, particularly around pesticide use, um, the, you know, there's a lot of support for alternative farming practices. Mm. Say, for instance, um, you know, integrated pest management where you're using bugs to fight pests rather than, you know, applying more and more chemicals. So it's, but it's a tricky one. You know, you, you, it, is a, it is a flower by flower thing. But the main drivers when it comes to, you know, determining whether a flower is more sustainable or not, um, seasonality, you know, it's the same as, this, as food and, 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 um, you know, the, the slow food movement, you're looking at seasonality, um, growing outdoors without artificial heating. Um, and then obviously, you know, proximity to growers and things like that comes into play. We're speaking with Rita Feldman, who has been digging into the sustainability of the floristry industry. She's a second generation florist herself. She's a science writer and she's the founder of the Sustainable Floristry Network. And let's bring in a grower now because we've been talking about ways to work out whether, you know, those farming practices are more sustainable or less. Nikki Davy is working to grow flowers in better ways and she's created an app too to support micro florists for which she won the agri Futures Rural Women's Award recently. Nikki, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I love how you have apparently described yourself as not a natural farmer. I don't know how to fix a fence. I don't like like going outside when it's windy. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like you maybe got into this industry almost by accident. Yeah, I would definitely say that. But I actually grew up on the land. So my family have a farm that I grew up on, but I I definitely wasn't a natural farmer. Didn't really foresee my future being back on the farm, let alone farming it. But as part of succession planning so that my parents could retire um, back in 2019, myself, my older sister, Tony, and my partner, Sam, made the decision to take over our family farm. But we actually started with truffles. So we made the decision to plant out uh, truffle trees. And then from there, um, my cousin Jade and her husband Hayden, um, who bought a farm around the same time that we were succession planning, had their farm just so, the farm that they purchased just so happened to have a cut flower farm. And so we always joke that they're the accidental flower farmers and we're the accidental flower farmers by proxy because they convinced us to, to do a trial patch and um, they did really, really well. So we've been planting and expanding ever since. But how did you decide, Nikki, to do it slightly differently? I understand you you going with the slow flower movement. Yeah, so we were really sort of conscious of the regenerative farming um, movement that was also sort of happening. And um, sort of many, many years ago, my dad actually had a consultant come out and he'd told him that his soil was dead and he'd never grow anything on the property. And I think it was just sort of um, representative of their generation of farming that they um, that they tended to sort of over farm. They didn't necessarily have any farm management plans. And so the ground was really sort of heavily compacted. And so we had to do a lot of pre-work before we were even able to put our first tree in the ground. Um, and so it was really important for us to regenerate, revegetate, um, and, and get the soil healthy again. 
And so, you know, the, all that work went in. You start producing flowers. It's it's doing well. But then there's yeah. an issue getting the flowers to consumers. What challenges did you find there, Nikki? Yeah, so during COVID as well, there was uh, limited imports that were, or imports coming into Australia um, were limited, which meant that there was a huge demand for sort of locally grown flowers because that's the way people were kind of connecting with their loved ones when they couldn't see them face to face. But if you were a if you were a florist, floral designer, DIY bride, or just a general flower consumer, and you wanted to find locally grown flowers, it was really hard to do that. And so for us as farmers, one of the challenges that we had was that, you know, we were going to have to build our own website, create our social media. And then you've got that chicken and egg conundrum of, do you start to advertise your your product knowing that you might not have the supply to meet the demand? Or do you wait until you've got the supply um, and then potentially have a lot of waste? And so we sort of thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. And so we created Grow Not Flown, which is an online platform and app that connects flower farmers and consumers. Um, well, globally, we've got flower, we've got over 1,200 flower farms listed in um, and users in 34 different countries. And in fact, a text has just popped in saying, I used an app called Grown Not Flown <laughs> to find a local flower <laughs> provider in Brisbane and was delighted with the results. A locally grown, beautiful bunch of flowers, just flowers and greenery and no extra bits in simple wrapping. Nikki, yep. though, in terms of the growers, <laughs> do the growers on the app need to meet a requirement to show that they are sustainable in particular ways? So we wanted the app to be really inclusive of all types of growers because sustainability within the growing um, within the growing uh, you know environment it's it's sort of on a spectrum as well and so there's a real sort of education piece and opportunity for us to continuously be improving those different farming practices but there's no um, there's no sort of requirement as such because we wanted people to be able to get themselves listed and make those. Uh, locally grown flowers accessible but what farmers can do or what growers can do is that they can list if their products are grown chemical free using regenerative practices in a sustainable and ethical way and it's really about creating that level of transparency so that consumers can make a quick decision or you know an easy decision when they are wanting to buy seasonal locally grown flowers. A few other texts on this topic of sustainable cut flower industry movement. We are low input organic uncertified organic flower farmers in Victoria. The cost and process of certification is high for small producers like us. We're also a land for wildlife property with a wildlife corridor. None of these things are recognised. Another says, I love having flowers in the house, but one of my favourite parts is the smell, which is often sadly lacking in florist flowers. I've been experimenting in the garden and trying to grow my own with a focus on scent. Now I give any extras to friends and neighbours and it's been a lovely way to meet my neighbours. We now swap different seasonal flowers. She has my sweet peas in summer and I cherish her Daphne's in winter. That's from Sarah in Victoria. And I think that speaks to how, how important cut flowers are for a lot of people. We're speaking with Nikki Davey who's a flower grower and who's been trying to connect other growers with consumers in ways that cut down on the transport miles and also uh, give people a way to to assess some of the sustainability practices happening. Nikki, just finally, what would you like to see in the industry to, to better support microgrowers and to see more um, easily uh, accessible sustainable farming practices? 
Yeah, I think just sort of more consumer awareness around the importance of seasonal locally grown flowers and supporting their local growers. And and just to sort of be able to get the word of the cut flower industry sort of out there, because we want to celebrate the provenance of flowers the same way we celebrate the provenance of food. And it's something we don't tend to sort of really think about when we're purchasing flowers. We don't, we don't um, <clears throat> sort of think, well, I wonder where these were grown. But, you know, to your point around the scented flowers, the first thing that we tend to do is put our nose in to, to take a big, you know, big whiff. And if those flowers have been um, imported, usually as part of, uh, because Australia has such strict biosecurity rules as well, it means that they can be treated with some really harsh chemicals. And so um, we want people to sort of, yeah, embrace these chemical-free um, seasonally grown flowers and celebrate the provenance of them. Rita Feldman, you're the founder of the Sustainable Forestry Network. What would you like to see? Is it about uh, really good labelling and regulation or better uh, training for the florists involved in the industry? What's top of your list? Um, well, education. From um, That's been our focus. Um, it's interesting. Floristry is completely unregulated, Um in the sense that anybody can become a florist. Um, you can set up a social media account and say, I'm a florist, set up a website, and off you go. Um, so you don't have to have any sort of education or training. Um, and this is a real problem because people enter the industry with sort of, you know, no industry uh, insight into how it works, no understanding of flowers. And it's, you know, social media has played a big part in that because it's really um, shaped people's um, expectations around flowers and what they should look like and, and blurred um, the lines between seasons. So it's sort of hard, you know, you're seeing all these images and they can period all the time and then they're coming from, you know, different parts of the world. Um, and cons- and because we have uh, an indust- a, a wholesale industry set up that is importing flowers from the Northern Hemisphere, those expectations can be serviced. Um, and what we need is um, not necessarily labelling, although, you know, that helps to, ident- you know, helps um, florists and consumers to identify perhaps what's grown domestically, but we need um, the actual florists to understand the difference between, you know, flowers and how they're grown and what makes, you know, a more sustainable cut flower. How can we, and and that's been like the question that's driven our, our research over the last few years is how can we make floristry more sustainable Um, and and a big part of that is educating. Well and just quickly and finally Rita from a consumer point of view what can we do because often florists will be driven by what consumers are asking for what should we be looking for if we want to have the highest chance of our bunch of flowers being sustainably grown? Um, You'd be looking at at, at definitely seasonality like look for something that's seasonal don't um, ask your florist what is in season locally Um, definitely look towards um, you know, I think that we'll see a, a big shift towards um, native species becoming very popular because there's a lot of um, ecosystem benefits associated with farming native flowers. Um, we saw that recently on a, a the, in Echuca when we as part of the Wildflowers Australia conference where we did tours to different farms and you can see how um, wildlife populations are supported by particular farming practices, you know, they provide habitat and pollination services. And so um, I think that just, you know, focusing on that definitely locally grown, 
seasonal for sure and 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 starting to tap into like make that connection we we want to see consumers make us a, a good connection with flowers plants gardens more because it's our disconnection from nature that is leading to all these environmental crises that we're facing. Yes, indeed. Rita Feldman, thank you so much for joining us on Life Matters. Rita's a second-generation florist, science writer, and the founder of the Sustainable Floristry Network. And Nikki Davey, you heard from too, an app creator and the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award national winner for creating that app to connect growers and consumers. Uh, lovely to learn that we are in a good position in Australia too. Could we grow 50% of our cut flowers here? That's, that's doing really well. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.